This morning I have uh, chosen a subject which is very near and dear to my heart because experientially I have learned to understand how to navigate the silence of God. There are many, many times in scripture where God is silent. In the, in, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is a period of 400 years which are called the silent years. 400 years. And from time to time, when you and I go through an experience which might be unique to ourselves, we try to understand God speaks, uh, you know, is it a lack of faith? The sovereignty of God is very complex. No human can understand it. That's the starting point. And when you understand the sovereignty of God, you can learn to navigate God's silence because often there is an instruction or a word he has given and you have to walk through that journey with it. The psalmist said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Death, suffering, pain is a reality, right? The Bible says it is appointed for man to die, and after that, the judgment. So from a biblical perspective, you may be here this morning and in some dark place, personally, emotionally, a, a, a medical report may not be what you wanted to see, but, but there's a grim reality there. I, I remember in 2015 when I went uh, to a hospital, public hospital in, 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 in Sri Lanka, you know, I, I, I just thought uh, I, I got to go for what is called an angiogram and the results would be just good after all. I felt pretty healthy and uh, five minutes later when I had two cardiologists come into my room and, and give me a sentence, uh, it knocked the bottom out of me. But, but like I say, once you've through, gone through one bypass, I believe the next one will be a little easier if it happens because you've already gone through the experience. And, and, and I just felt as if my entire world had fallen apart. And the first question was, why? <laughs> there were plenty of reasons. I, I had not looked after myself personally in the way that I should have. But the why question comes from time to time. And I'm sure in your life, at some point when you've gone through something, you ask the question, why? You are following God to the very best of your ability. And let me tell you something, if, if you do that, that is pleasing 
to him. And sometimes we have to come to terms with the reality that suffering, pain, disappointment is part of existence in this life. Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. Now that type of preaching won't get you a large love offering, unfortunately. That is why it is not preached often enough from many platforms. But that's a reality. In the book of Matthew chapter 27 verse 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wow. Here is the Son of God hanging on a cross in ultimate shame and humiliation for the sins of the world. And there was no answer. The Father was silent. If the Father could have been silent with his own Son, how much more with us? From a biblical perspective, in Psalm 62, verse 1, I'll just read some scriptures. You don't need to turn to it. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation and my hope. David is in a bad place. David had been anointed to be the greatest king of Israel that they ever had. And David is in a place that everything within him must be questioning the promises of God. But he comes to a conclusion in faith. God alone is my salvation. My soul, not my spirit, my soul waits in silence for him. And I want to ask you this morning, what are you waiting for from God? That is why I believe that the best alternative to hype in Christianity is hope, because God is the author of hope. When we build our lives on experience alone, we constantly need to sustain that life with experiences. And God will not always give us the experience we want because we have to learn to trust him in faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It's, it's wonderful to, to have an experience that is personal, that is powerful, that is dynamic, you know, and, and you can have an experience in the most unusual places. My experiences with God have often been when I'm in the privacy of my car, driving home, and, and I just cried out to God and said, 
God, I, I, I just want a little more of you this morning. I, I just feel I have emptied out and I want you to empty and uh, fill me in. And as I begin to drive, I begin to just sense that aura and presence of the Holy Spirit in, in, in a very kind and very gentle way flowing in and through the, the, the windows of a car and touching me and I begin to weep and, and it's only because I've asked God for more of him but I can't build my life on that experience however wonderful that experience might be I got to look at the word of God and, and when the cardiologist told me you know we are ready to operate you tomorrow I said what? Yeah, you got five blocks, 199, 90, 70, 35 to 40. That's pretty good figures from a cardiologist's view. All, 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 all those two guys who are thinking of is that seven lakhs more to tomorrow morning after the operation. But, but then, then in, in my despair, uh, I had a word from God, Psalm 118, verse 17, which is, I shall not die, but live and declare the work of God. And, <clears throat> sorry, that is all I had to sustain me. And for five months, I just embraced that word. I had to walk for five months on a word. But I had learned early in my Christian life, having been discipled well, how to walk on water with a word and then the operation was over and I went into depression because they say when you have a major operation like that dep depression normally follows and you know I know people who are in depression and when you ask them how are things oh we're all right hallelujah praise the Lord you know we just got to put this false image of ourselves that we are truly spiritual, but deep down we are hurting, we are broken, but we are too proud to admit it. And then I rang a friend of mine and I said, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going through, but I want you to pray for me. And he said, I just feel that what you're going through is going to take six months to remedy. Wow, that's not the word you want. What, what the Lord was telling me was simply this. For six months, you are going to stay depressed. Now, the faith preachers won't tell you that. But this guy who's a friend of mine, whose judgment I trust, and he said on the seventh month, things will change. And six in the Bible is the number of man. Seven is the number of completion. And for six months, I went through depression. And I would just sit in my, on my bed with my brother in front of me and just stare at the wall or, or, or look at a Christian program and nothing seemed to be getting through to me. Depression amongst Christians happens. Admit it. That's the first point to the healing process. And then as the seventh month began one night I was in the rehabilitation center down at Springvale Road after my operation 
and I began to convulse at about 11 o'clock at night and like Joe Biden said, I want mommy. You know that? They don't know that. <laughs> Poor Joe. It's another story. That's not for this morning. Okay. We'll wait till the senator comes. Okay. And, and I was convulsing. And uh, I rang my wife, but she couldn't get to me because she doesn't drive at 11 o'clock at night. And in, in any case, they, they closed at 10. And I was convulsing. And then there was a knock. And I had a Filipino nurse who happened to be a Christian. And she said, I was passing this ward and I just felt I should come in and pray with you. And she didn't even know what I was doing. Wow. Wow. Does God care? He does. But first and foremost, we have to honestly and openly admit our need. 11 o'clock. One Filipino nurse who was sensitive to the Holy Spirit stepped out of the shadows and ministered to me. And when I told her what I was doing, she was shocked. So when God is silent, it doesn't mean to say you have been abandoned. I've read the book of Esther, but I've learned an amazing fact this week, which I should have learned 48 years ago, that not once in the book of Esther is God mentioned. And it's in the Bible. And we see in Esther's life, God interacting on her behalf behind the scenes. Sami says, be still and know that I am God. The Bible tells me Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I'm sitting in that bed and I put up a sign, no visitors. And then when I began to see visitors, I had a chair in my room and I told my brother, take the chair away because some people, when they come and sit, they forget to get up and go home. <laughs> Four hours later, they still haven't got to point one. That's just the way I'm wired. If you don't like me, that's your problem, not mine. But then, as we approached the end of the sixth and came to the seventh, one Sunday morning, I just flicked a television program, and uh, there was the wife of the senior pastor of CCC in Sydney. She spoke from the Book of Solomon, 
your winter is over. Now winter was just beginning here. And it didn't make sense. But the moment she uttered those words, the spirit of God reminded me that your seventh month is about to begin. Six is over. And the depression was gone. She was in depression. And being the CCC wife's senior pastor's wife, she was honest enough to admit it. And one day she got that word for her life and her context. And as she began to walk on the word, even though God was silent, she began to get hold. So for me, that was an encouragement. Something about God's silence that I've learned in the journey. Number one, it can be very intimidating. Because we expect God to answer and talk to us, especially when we have an intimate relationship with him. God desires intimacy. Intimacy means into me you see. And sometimes it can be fearful and anxious. Secondly, sometimes when God is silent, it could mean that he has given us an instruction, but somewhere on the journey, we've done a detour. In the book of Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham, go down, leave your family and, and go into the land that I will show you. And then Abraham leaves and he obeys the word of God and then he builds an altar, but he continues to go. There was a famine in the land. And so he goes down to Egypt. Whenever the Bible says you go down to Egypt, it means you're going in the opposite direction of the divine purpose and plan. And from then on, God stops speaking. So sometimes because we are human, we can not follow the instruction. And we all make mistakes in the journey of life. But then God uh, protects his wife and they come out and the first thing he does as he returns, he builds an altar and goes back to the place he started. So as we look at the scriptures, we are reminded of one truth that Job was a righteous man. And it was only because of his righteousness that he went through a lot of painful experiences in life. Let me tell you something. Bad theology hurts the suffering. Let me repeat it. Bad theology hurts the suffering. And when you are going through a crisis, somebody might come and tell you like Job's three friends did, maybe there's some sin issue in your life. You know, I, I, I've, I, I've had uh, people who, who have gone through some painful experience and I've been sitting around Christians and, and they are sitting and doing an autopsy of what the person has gone through and why that person may have gone through that. We have no right to do that. 
We just have tongues so long that we can sit in the living room sometimes and lick a spoon in the kitchen. I'm serious. Job's three friends, they came to him initially to encourage him and they kept their mouth shut. And I think sometimes that's the best place to be when somebody is going through some painful experience in life that you may not understand just to zip it up a bit. We talk for the sake of talking. We try to minimize the pain, but on the contrary, we make it worse. So Job's three friends, they sort of believed in the karmic system, the law of sowing and reaping. So, so, so they are telling Job, all evil comes from bad human behavior. So there must be something you have done wrong. But Job 1, first two verses say, Job was righteous. There was none like Job. Wow. God's testament to a man who was faithful. So sometimes in life, you, you may just be going through some challenge because it's the enemy that is coming against you. And you need to have the spiritual discernment to recognize that and start praying against it as you have power and authority to do so. If your life is right with God through the righteousness of Christ, we are complete in him. Colossians 2 verse 10. Bad things happen to good people. That's a biblical reality. Bad things do happen from time to time. And we cannot fully understand why things happen. But at those times, I've learned to bow before God's sovereignty and say, let your will be done, whatever that will is. Because I've learned to live my life from an eternal perspective. That's the difference. Job's friends remind us that we have to be very careful whom we turn to for help in challenging times. Don't go and just open up to everybody just to get a bit of sympathy here and a bit of sympathy there. You have to go to somebody who has earned the right spiritually to speak into your life through a track record. That's important. Ladies should remember that. Others might tell you, you need more faith. That's wrong theology also. You know, you need more faith. Hello? I used to think that. But God has put within us all the faith we need to have. Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed. Wow. Can't get smaller than that. We can't understand life from a dimension of humanity because we are mortal. God can take your little faith 
and blown it through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit and do something that you never expected him to do. So you've got to be careful whom you confide in. You've you, you, you got to be careful whom you open your heart to. Others might tell you, oh, you know, you got to pray the right way. you got to get into your uh, closet and, and pray. You know, you got to go into the upper room. There are in some homes where, where they have an upper room and that's become a shrine. The upper room in itself has no value. It's what happens in the upper room that has value. The, the 70 were asked to stay in an upper room, but not till eternity. They had to wait till the Holy Spirit came, and then they had to go out and change lives and transform situations. And I've seen some good people who are so extreme in their views that they put people off. You need to go back into the upper room, sister, and pray a little more. And you begin to think, what's wrong with you? Something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Every time Jesus went up to a mountain to pray, he didn't stay there. He received power from on high for a purpose. And the purpose was to share the gospel with those who needed to hear it. The central theme of his life wasn't miracles. The miracles were performed to authenticate the gospel. He said, for this cause the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. He did ministry in one of the most challenging political systems of all time. But he didn't allow that to become a distraction from his life purpose. So when God is silent in your life, as he will be from time to time, you keep focused on your life purpose. When you're focused on your life purpose, which is to show people who are unchurched, that in spite of what you are going through personally, you have a faith that is strong. They will want what you have. That's all. If you go and winch to them, they'll end up like you. In Acts chapter 12, verse 1 to 3 and verse 5, Peter is rescued, James is killed. So life doesn't always work the way we want it to. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Three years. Silence. Three years. Silence. Elijah knew how to wait. The problem today is we are not willing to wait. You only need to look outside the canteen queue after service to realize that. 
they're trying to get on top of each other to get the patties before it finishes and runs out. I live my life by observation. I, I get paid to observe human behavior. That, that's what pastoring is. Uh, when I'm on a plane, people ask me, what do you do? I said, I'm, I'm into human relations. That sounds very spiritual, isn't it? <clears throat> human relations, human resources, yes, yes. I said, I observe people and I get paid for it. Wow. <laughs> and they scratch their heads. And then, and the, and then the, the, the wine trolley comes around and, and the hostess will say, you know, especially if you're on Sri Lankan Airlines, they give you, you know, how, however much you want to drink. I say, would you like, would you like a brandy, sir? No. And then, yeah, can I get you something else? Gin and tonic, maybe? No. And, and the guy sitting next to me is saying, you don't drink? Like as if I'm from another world. So I said, my friend, I've drunk for 29 years all the alcohol I need to last me a lifetime. Human resources. And then he says, you don't mind if I drink? I said, no problem, as long as you don't get drunk and fall on me. That's okay. You know, in, in Job chapter 34, verse 29, when he keeps quiet, who can condemn? When he hides his face, who then can look at him? Wow. There are times Job recognizes the silence of God and the sovereignty of God. God is silent. He cries out to God and God doesn't speak. But then we see a change and a turn in Job 38 verse 1. God speaks out of a whirlwind. Where were you when I laid the foundations? Job 40 verse 6. God speaks out of the storm. Wow. So there is a time in our life when we have to learn to embrace God's sovereignty, whatever that is, and trust that as we walk with God in the integrity of our hearts, God will come through for us. Number two, we got to be open to any instruction that God has already given us to see whether there is some area of personal disobedience that is trying to adjust in our lives. Family relationships. Husbands, love your wives. Agape. That's a command, not an instruction. It's a command. Wives, submit to your husband. That's hard. Amen. All the men say amen to that one. Submission is an attitude. Attitude determines attitude. In fact, in, in the book of 1 Peter, if, if there is disharmony in the home, your prayers 
can be hindered. So the Bible says. I didn't write it. Peter did. So, so make sure that domestically there is harmony. There is perfect harmony between Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. And God wants our homes to be a reflection of that harmony. And that the tree of knowledge doesn't dwell between your two ears always. And I, I've discovered experientially when, when you acknowledge that your wife probably has a measure of wisdom in some areas that you may not have and you are open to that wisdom, it brings peace and joy into the home. Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes the silence can be used by God to take us into a deeper journey with him. That's what I've discovered. During those transition times between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise, as I wait, I say, wait on the Lord and he will fulfill the desires of your heart. I, I learned to walk into a deeper journey with him. And I recognize the fact that God is still with me because his word says so. His word is established in the heavens. His word is sure. His word is reliable. I can trust the outcome of my life and my future because I have surrendered to the sovereignty of the Almighty. So I don't confess negativity in my life. I might be in a negative situation, personally speaking, but I believe if I am going through something, God has allowed it. It doesn't happen without his knowledge. And that in itself reminds me that there is a God who is sovereign in heaven superintending my life because I am a child of his. But if you follow the hype stream and you want experience after experience, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed. I've, I've seen on, on social media inspiring quotes, open your heart today for a low, bucket load of miracles. And I think, it's not going to happen. And I put a comment, give it a break. Somebody has to deal with that. Not everybody is strong enough to do so, but I felt called to do that. Because like, like, like. Everybody likes bucket loads of miracles. Who doesn't? But the reality is this. You're not going to have a bucket load. And, and, and it's interesting that the, 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 whoever sends that out, they are cup and cake makers or something. Maybe they should stick to that business. Uh, 
if 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 you want one of those, just just see me after service. I can forward one of them to you. You know, bad loads of miracles, and and that sort of those are feel good. We we like to feel good, but but there's a reality there. There's a reality. When Jesus called his 12 disciples, they had no clue what would happen to them. They just left all, left their nets, left the businesses and followed him. By the way, those 12 were not idiots. They were all successful in different areas of life. Sometimes I've, I've heard uh, messages preached about the 12 that, you know, they were at the bottom of the ladder. Many of them were not. Somebody didn't do background checks. They were, Peter, James, and John had successful businesses. They had boats. They had servants. So they were not, you know, last in the class, come and join Jesus. If you have nothing to do, can't find a job, go into full-time ministry. I have some people in Sri Lanka who think like that. I'm serious. I'm not joking. I, I've had a guy who for three years... You know, he applied, applied for jobs. He said, maybe God is calling me to full-time ministry. I told him what I had to tell him. I can't repeat it. There are times in life when God will seem silent. But then I'm reminded of Esther. That God in his silence was working out the destiny of a nation. Although... We don't hear the word Jehovah God mentioned once. Wow. And for me, that's an encouragement. That's an encouragement that life might look difficult from the outside, but God is still at work on the inside. So we can hold on to God in faith and hope when there is nothing else to hold on to. Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. And what I have learned personally is this. When you go through some painful experience and you stay committed to God's purpose, it produces something better in you. Amen? You come out of the experience far more empathetic, far more understanding, far more gracious, far more forgiving than when you went into it. And they say, wow, he who has begun a good work in you, says the Bible, will bring it 